right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me on the podcast, the question and answer based podcast, where you, the listener, get to send me, the therapist, questions about OCD and anxiety disorders, and I will likely put them up on a future episode. You can go to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the submit a question link there and uh, you can send me your question and uh, I will likely put it up. And as I've been mentioning in the past, if you send me an audio question where you read your question um, and and send it over to me, I will uh, fast track it to the top of the list. And that's what's happening today with Marcus's question. So thank you so much, Marcus, for sending that in. I will get to that audio here in a moment. How Marcus did it, and I think this was this is, I think, the best way. It may not be the fastest way, but I think it's the uh, the best way. Um, if you go to fearcastpodcast.com, he, cl- he clicked on the submit a question link there, and he, he included the link to a shared drive, a shared Google Drive, where he uploaded his audio there. I clicked on the link. The audio popped up. I downloaded it real fast. It was fantastic and easy. So, Marcus, thank you so much for doing that. So, we are going to get to that question. So, um, so, first off, if you hear ambient noise in this episode it's perhaps louder than it typically is uh that is because we have the air conditioning running in my office right now uh as we're doing this um here in southern california it is um what did it say on the news a bajillion degrees i think that's what they said is roughly a bajillion degrees and if we don't have the air conditioning going we will all burst into flames so that's what we're doing so oftentimes what i'll do is you know if nobody else is in the office i'll turn off the air conditioning and i'll just kind of suffer through it being hot however um i have um, an associate in the office today and i would not like her to explode in flames um i just thought that would be nice to not have her explode in flames so that's what we're um dealing with uh down here in, or- in orange county um i don't know how you all are doing i don't know when you are listening to this if you're in the southern hemisphere you're going it's so cold i don't know what y'all are doing anyways the point is it's hot that's why the sound is there forgive the sound anyways so before we jump into this i actually have a follow-up so remember all of you regular listeners on a previous episode i had a question from elizabeth and elizabeth asked this question about um it was kind of it was, oh, it was, it was episode 113 so you can go back and listen to that it was i think it was the second question um in a second question yeah and she she expressed some concerns about you know some symptoms that was re- that were related to kind of hyper awareness and sensory motor. She talked about kind of being in in environments that felt loud and felt uncomfortable, and she felt like um, you know the 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 feelings were were were, were uh, they said they were visually bossy, um, particularly around museums. So she was kind of talking about that, and I I had put out the bat signal to everybody um, in the Fearcast community of you know what are your thoughts what are your feelings on this and and how can we all help elizabeth and (laughs) let's go back to that email wherever i hit it i hit it for myself all right here we go um and i got an email back from christine so christine thank you so much for sending this in so um she sent in so I'll, i'll read her email she says hi kevin she said in response to the episode you published today episode 113 it is possible that Elizabeth is a highly sensitive person. 
this is a trait that can co-occur with OCD and other mental disorders. She says, I am an HSP, highly sensitive person with OCD myself. Um, I'm really bothered by really loud noises and can be overstimulated quickly. People experience it in different ways, but there are some common themes. Check it out. She says, uh, Elaine Aaron has done a lot of work in this um, and has a good podcast called Unapologetically Sensitive. She says, I hope this helps. Christina, I think this is actually going to be really helpful uh, to a lot of folks. So I, I um, did a quick little Google search and found an article on um, highly sensitive persons, and I'll link it uh, to the episode page. Uh, it's, it's just kind of a simple breakdown from uh, Psychology Today, and you can go check it out. It talks about what highly sensitive persons are. I think it does an important job to to draw a differentiation between highly sensitive person and people with sensory integration uh issues um kind of some of the main differences is that while there can be some similarities it seems like the main difference between the two is that a person who's highly sensitive um their their brain is perceiving the the external world and internal world at the same time and in the same ways uh whereas uh someone who has a sensory integration uh issue uh they are misperceiving things and they're not being integrated at the same time uh hence the throwing up what it kind of talks about is that there are that there are just people who are more or um, sense, or uh, as, as it says, highly sensitive. So I'll read one paragraph. It says HSPs are thought to be more disturbed than others by violence, tension, um, or feelings of being overwhelmed. They may, as a result, take concerted efforts to avoid situations in which such things are likely to occur. On the more positive end of the trait, and I like that they included the positive end of the trait. I think there are positive ends of everything. Uh, they say highly sensitive or high sensitivity is thought to be linked to higher levels of creativity, richer, richer personal relationships, and a greater appreciation for beauty. So the article goes on and on. It has a, a bunch of um, things to consider and look into. Um, but um, but uh, Elizabeth, if you are listening to this episode, check it out. Check out the article and maybe check out that podcast. Um, let me see if I can find it again, and I will read you the name of it. <laughs> Don't know where my emails went. This is the problem with having so many windows open. All right. Uh, it is called Unapologetically Sensitive. I think it's a fantastic name. So check it out, uh, Elizabeth, if that's going to be helpful for you. Anybody else, uh, you may want to check that out as well. So, all right. Without further ado, I'm going to play Marcus's question here, and then I'm going to yammer on a little, bit, uh, a little bit about it on the tail end. So without further ado again, here's Marcus's question. Hi, Kevin. Just really quick, wanted to say uh, thank you for creating this podcast. Um, I'm glad that I was able to find it and just wanted to say that you've been very helpful for me on my path to uh, better OCD management. Uh, so here's my story. And if it sounds like I'm reading something off, it's because I am. <laughs> uh, just wanted to make sure that I was able to tell the story with uh, enough clarity Um so I, I have lived with OCD for about 12 years now, and I recently started a new job as a bank teller. Um, I started, started a few months ago. And just kind of addressing the audience, too, um, I think most of us know what a bank teller is and what the responsibilities of a teller are. But just in case there isn't, um, the main responsibility of a teller is taking care of deposit and withdrawal uh transactions for customers that obviously want to move money to and from their accounts and so forth. 
Um, obviously, several people want to have checks uh, cashed or cash deposited and so forth. And as a teller, it's my responsibility to make sure that the cash amount that I have in hand is what matches what it says on the check or what the customer requested to withdraw. Uh, my obsession in this is when someone is wanting to cash checks or deposit checks, I'm tempted to repeatedly and have repeatedly um, checked the cash amount in my hand an unnecessary amount of times. Um, I'm usually able to break the cycle after about four or five uh, counts. Um, so as far as being able to be productive, I feel as though I can manage that. But it causes a lot of stress and spinning in my head that is very difficult to deal with, um, especially when the transaction is completed and I completed it without being 100% sure it was done right. Um, I also stress about like mentally counting in my head, like making sure that my counting speed in my head is the same as me actually moving the cash in my hands to make sure it was counted just right and so forth. Um, I also obsess about uh, double checking the handwriting on checks to make sure that like our scanning software has read the check amount correctly rather than just checking it once and going and going forward with it. Um, I think what I'm afraid of is kind of obvious, but um, what I'm afraid of is mishandling customers' money and also shorting my cash drawer or having an overage in my cash drawer because that's uh, in in making that's that's a no no. <laughs> um, any assistance I can get for this would be greatly appreciated. Um, this has been a difficult obsession for me to tackle since the fear that's fueling the obsession is based in consequences that have a real-world impact on many customers and an impact on my job performance. Um, I also want to mention uh, briefly that I am seeing a therapist about this. Um, I just very very recently started going back to th going back to therapy. And uh, Kevin, both me and my therapist are actually listening to this podcast together. So uh, just just a quick disclaimer, I'm not asking this because I think my therapist is incompetent or any, anything like that. Uh, I just like to get what resources I can. And she's told me that she appreciates the fact that I'm willing to do that. So just kind of wanted to get that out of the way. Um, but we, we are listening to it together. Um, so um, that's my question. And Kevin, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, thank you very much. Right, Marcus, thank you so much for sending that in. And uh, and again, I'll just say, I, I love these audio questions. It feels like the podcast is so much more personal. It's so much more real than just having me read it. Of course, I'm happy to read the emails, but I, I, I think it adds something to hear your voice, Marcus, or anybody else who sends in those questions. And again, he sent this in last week, and I'm, I'm sending, I'm responding to it presently. So anyhow, so, um, so Marcus, first off, I want to say, I'm really glad that you're listening to this podcast with your therapist. As I've mentioned before, you know, if you are working with a therapist and I mentioned something in, in the podcast that might be helpful and you want to bring that to your therapist to talk about, you know, 
I would say don't just immediately go with what I say on this podcast because your therapist may be and hopefully is seeing you in a uh, seeing you in a very specific light and knows knows you more than I know you. So if they're you know they may be giving recommendations and maybe exposure ideas and maybe not even doing exposures but doing them for a very intentional reason. And if I'm over here responding to your question and talking about doing exposures and you know I'm missing a whole bit that I didn't hear in the, you know the, the two or three paragraphs that you sent in then you know talk about that with your therapist so I love that you're working with a therapist listening to it together and hopefully it's sparking some really good conversation about ways to progress through this maybe uh, comparing ideas maybe comparing different ways to what's resonating with you and and maybe what what's not resonating with you right and the whole point is trying to push you closer and closer towards a more functional life and if maybe some things that i talk about that that could be beneficial but maybe it's there are going to be some things that are actually missing the point or missing you or some uh, really salient uh, uh, aspect that I, I i really want you to be in conversation with someone who's going to be able to have very good reason why they want to redirect you elsewhere. So, um, so all that said, um, I, I, I again, I really appreciate this question. And man, I'll tell you, I bet it sounds it sounds incredibly stressful to feel like or worry that you're going to mishandle someone's money. What I want to what I want to illustrate here, though, is that you said it feels like, or one of the things you said is that like it feels like the extra kicker to, kicker to this. It's not like the fear is just willy nilly, doesn't matter, nothing matters. It's that you say it has real life, real world, a real world impact on your life and the life of customers. What what I what I want to challenge you on first is to try to pull back from buying into this this belief that is in a sense justifying these compulsions, in a sense of saying, well, there is the real possibility of messing up someone's money, which could mess them up in some sort of way. Maybe they're short, um, or that you know you're shorting somebody else, or that it's going to impact your job. What I don't, what I, what I want to caution you against is using that fact, that 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 possibility as more evidence as to why you should be doing these compulsions, why you should be doing the things that you have said are excessive and unnecessary. You specifically said it. You spend an unnecessary amount of time doing this stuff. There's part of you that knows that it is above and beyond what the average teller would do. So therefore, let's not play the game of, of convincing yourself that what you're doing is justifiable or justified when you already know that it's excessive, okay? So I, I hear this all the time where people say, you know, well, isn't it, isn't it important to care for the life and well-being of other people? Therefore, I should avoid driving. I should wash my hands 37 times. I should drive back the way that I came to make sure I didn't run anybody over, right? We use these things to justify what we do when in, when in the back of our head we know it's excessive and wrong. So, I'm just going to call you out on that, and I, 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 I want you to not buy into OCD's BS that tries to suck you back into it, all right? So, all right, so let's shift over then. Um, you, one of the things to think about in this, and actually... Um, in terms of challenging this, if you are in the office with me, I'd, I'd really want to know, like, 
Yeah, I, I recognize for every teller out there, there is that existential possibility that you're going to short them, mess up funds, mess up finances, and, and you could make an error, right? People make mistakes. Robots make mistakes, too. But there's this fear that perhaps you are more susceptible to error. I'd really want to look at that and to to look at your history of things. I mean, Marcus, do you do you have a history about like significantly messing things up? Do you have a history of you know, you're like at your last three jobs, you've been fired all from teller jobs because you just keep messing up the money, right? So is that part of a pattern that you have, or is that more of just this kind of this oh no, this worry that you have? So that's that's one element, because um, if there's a pattern that that's one thing, but if it's founded in nothing other than the possibility, that would be a different story. Now, by the way, I'll also say we people make mistakes, people make mistakes. So to that end, are you someone who's constantly making these mistakes or are you like everybody else? You make a mistake every now and again. Well, I, I'm willing to bet. You're like everybody else who sometimes makes mistakes. Are you, are, how can you allow yourself to be this whole person, this, this uh, 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 realistic human that makes mistakes? As my, my mom always said, there's a reason that we have the word mistake. It's because we make them. Um, I'm assuming that's what she meant by it. I've not asked her, but that's what I'm taking from it. Pretty sure I'm right. Anyways, the point is... Um, point is that we, you, you might make these mistakes and if you have that's that's great so how do you how do you incorporate that into kind of a normal range as opposed to this perhaps d- doubtful belief that you make so many more mistakes than the average person and that you are so much more susceptible to making errors i think that might be something to challenge with your therapist if you haven't already um Lastly, I think I want to acknowledge then that that as as we we make mistakes, um, you know things things can work out, right? Even if we make mistakes, oftentimes our our worst fear is unlikely to happen. If you make a short, if you short somebody, um, or if you short your drawer in a sense, you know I'm 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 willing to bet you're not the first person in your bank's history to have done this. I'm I'm I'd be interested to find out what their policies and procedures are if and when that happens and i think that can that's that can certainly be reassurance seeking i I fully recognize that but it's also information gathering right if we if we have these fears and we've never asked the question about it ask the question right so you can ask hey you know what sometimes i get worried about messing this up let's say i mess up not that i want to not that i'm trying to you know What's the, what's the procedure for that? And maybe you can work with your therapist on trying to figure out the right way to ask that or the right way to couch that to a boss, supervisor, whoever. Um, but that might be part of the information gathering. Now, this is what we call the one and done reassurances. You ask once and then you take that information and you move with it. You don't then keep asking. You don't keep ruminating. You don't double check. You don't go up to the night manager or the afternoon manager and go, hey, you know, uh, Jeff in the morning said this. Is that right? No, we're going with what Jeff said, whoever Jeff is, that person. We're going to go with what they said and trust that that's what's going to happen. Now, 
ultimately with this is that what I'm hearing is that we have to be that you're going to have to be open to making mistakes. There are certainly some exposures that I think might be helpful for you, but I think an, an, an act component and an open to the present experience and seeing what's going to come is is going to be the best uh, approach here, right? Because you know I I don't want you to intentionally mess up the drawer, intentionally mess up somebody's count, but I. I I and your therapist and you need you to be open to making a mistake, right? That's where we all are when we're doing things is that, you know, sometimes we make mistakes, right? Again, that's why the word exists. So we're going to be open to that mistake, which means first, your exposures are going to be going to work, right? You're going to work. Every day is an exposure. Every every transaction is. So you're going to be keenly aware of what your compulsions are. And then, you know, if I was working with you, I'd slowly have you pull back on compulsions to a reasonable and uh, kind of a, a reasonable amount in comparison to your colleagues, your coworkers. Right. You said you can't stop checking like you're, you're laying out all the money and you do that four or five times. Right. Now, I'm sure. Some people appreciate it, but it's also time consuming, right? And you said you kind of, you start getting into this spinning process. What I'd love for you to do is, you know, if you know that you do four or five times, hold it to four. You don't go beyond four this week, right? And, you know, sometimes you, I bet you're satisfied with four and sometimes your gut goes, yeah, but, yeah, but just once more. And you're going to go, no, not this week. We're doing it four and that's the uncertainty. And you do that over and over again. And then I want you to wait for a week and see, do, did you mess up? Did you get called in by your boss? Did your, did you, um, you know, did someone make this, this crazy report that said, you know, Marcus is, Marcus stole, you know, $18,000 from me or something to that effect or 15 cents, who knows, right? We, we wait. And that's when we discover if we've made a mistake. I can't make a mis- I can't know that I made a mistake in advance if I'm trying to not make mistakes. I discover in the future that I've made a mistake because I, dis- I, f- I find out. Someone tells me. I see the mistake, right? In the moment, if I'm trying to do something as best I can, it's I'm doing something the best I can. And then I discover later on that it was a mistake, right? You're anticipating the future, a potential future that has not happened yet. So what I want you to do is to resist that fifth and say, we'll find out, but I've got my next transaction or I've got to, you know, this is the end of my shift or I'm going to go to lunch, right? And then we practice, you practice shifting your focus back to that next transaction, task, lunch, whatever, and you practice that shifting and you wait, right? At the end of the day, you can even put a little note for note up there on, on your wall, next to your bed, whatever it is. Did I get fired today? Or did, not even that, um, did, you, uh, did you short someone's account? Did you short the drawer? And every day you're going to say, nope, I didn't. But I want you to note every day that you didn't. This sounds compulsive, right? But it's you're showing yourself that what you're afraid of didn't happen. It's not saying it will never happen. It says it didn't yet. But the yet is what we all sit in when we don't when we when some bad happens. Like I haven't, you know, I haven't become a paraplegic yet, right? I haven't killed and eaten my dog yet. Well, there's a lot of yets out there, right? But I haven't done those things yet. Yet. 
So, you're going to start with four, and then next week, after you discover that nothing happens, you're going to go down to three, and then maybe you're going to go down to two, and then maybe, if you're willing to take the risk, you're only going to do one, right? That's scary stuff. Now, in the course of doing all this, by the way, and the, and the same thing would occur with the handwriting, you know, pulling back, you said you double check, well, do the single check, and then take the risk to not. But you can pull back on these compulsions ever so slowly, and one at a time, and thoughtfully and intentionally pulling back on them. And also taking that compassion that it's going to feel uncomfortable and you might be in your head, but you, know, you can practice that attention shifting. We've talked about that on previous episodes. Perhaps you and your therapist can talk about those things. And lastly, um, or not even lastly, um, if you if you aren't doing scripting, this would be a perfect opportunity for scripting and, and 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 acknowledging or playing out that story that you did do this and what are those consequences and then sitting with all that uncomfortable or all that comfortable feeling that comes with it because it's a story. It's a fictitious story that may happen but hasn't happened. It's kind of like, again, how are you going to feel if you won the lottery or if you wrote a story about winning the lottery? You probably will feel excited or good or, or encouraged, but it hasn't happened. It's a fictitious story, but you don't take that one seriously. So why is it that you're, you are taking this one seriously? And in what steps do you take to take it seriously? Lastly, um, uh, you know, in terms of exposure, um, I, I, an, an exposure movie that you could watch, and this is, I, this is the first one that just came to mind. You could watch Office Space if you haven't watched it already. Part of the part of the story, but Office Space. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler. It's like a twenty year old movie or more. Anyways, the the movie is about uh, a guy who works at this you know big faceless corporation, whatever, and he writes this little program that 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 siphons off microtransactions. So you know if in a huge transaction there's like tenths of a cent or you know whatever of a cent um, that that aren't really accounted for it kind of grabs those and accumulates them enough to where he siphons off money um but in this he you know doesn't carry the one or whatever it was and he starts siphoning off like tremendous amounts of money um but that's that's part of the mistake and the hilarity ensues anyways um it, it's it's worth a watch and i wonder if you could watch that as a documentary for your life that you know as you do these transactions you know if it's a transaction of seventeen thousand dollars you know you're just going to take like 50 cents they're not going to miss it right? Maybe a dollar. They're not going to miss it. And if you do that enough, I mean, you've got a pretty good nest egg over there, Marcus. If you play the long game right, but then you sit with that possibility that maybe that's underneath it what's going to happen, right? And ultimately, it comes down to the fear of making these mistakes. And actually, that being said, I wonder if that's what that is. Is it a fear of making mistakes? Is it a fear that you are uh, clumsy and careless? Is it a fear that you are malicious and evil for stealing, right? What else is this connected to? But I think that's more of the stuff to uh, work out with your therapist. So, um, Marcus, I know we've got a, I, I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, but I really do appreciate uh, this, uh, this question. I hope any, any of this was helpful um, to your therapist out there. High five. I hope you're doing well. But keep working on this together. And if you have follow-ups for me, I'd love to hear about it. We, the listening audience, would love to hear it too. So, I'll um, slide in that music right here. 
thank you so much for all of you to, uh, for listening. Um, you can go over, as I mentioned, go over to fearcastpodcast.com uh, to submit a question, and um, you can find me over at Instagram. Um, if you have a moment and can write a review or give me some, uh, give a five star rating wherever you're seeing this or listening to this, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and ultimately, again, it helps other people to find it, like Marcus, uh, to uh, to be able to, and, and Catherine for that matter, uh, to be able to uh, to help out this community. So, um, please remember that the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment, um, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some stuff for you there. All right, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Thank you.